Love Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. installment of the Run to Daylight podcast on One Week Season. Family, we have made it to week two. Thank you to everyone who listened on week one. It was a record for the Run to Daylight podcast with 1,148 listeners. Um, I know there's other pods that do better than that, but uh, I'm kind of a niche pod, and uh, I really appreciate each and every one of you today. Uh, We're going to get Mark in here in a minute and hear uh, everything high-low and everything in between. At 8.50, we'll actually have Lex Moralia on for the Lex's More segment. Uh, We'll hit a couple of his uh, key bullet points. And at 9.10, the man, the myth, the legend, our leader, JM will be on. Uh, I I have assurance. So uh, exciting night. I'm really looking forward to week two. I had a really good day today. Uh, The first person who saw my house put in an offer, uh, we had some other showings, but uh, accepted it. And uh, it's for five grand more than my asking price. So uh, prayers up that it actually goes through, that uh, there be nothing that hinder it. Uh, But I really like the person who is buying it. Uh, She's a nice lady with six kids and uh, very, very excited. It's the last step in the long divorce process. You guys really didn't need to hear that. But, you know, it's my show, even though it's JM's show. But it's my show. All right. I'm drifting, aren't I? Uh, I didn't have a good week one. Uh, Mark did. Uh, I got a couple things, uh, as I often do, right? But... Uh, I didn't put it all together. A few of my key plays didn't work. And the only one that I've been kicking myself on is the Jordan Reed play. That w- It was too thin. thin. Uh, DJ Moore, I'm not kicking myself about. Eckler, I'm not kicking myself about. Although it did bring up a point about getting locked onto someone and then refusing to come off them. Uh, and then, of course, there's the times when you're really on someone and you uh, – you don't get on them because, uh, you, you know, so it can go both ways is what I'm trying to say. We're going to continue to try and improve. This is one of the more interesting weeks that I can remember with just so much value. And I'm going to bring Mark in. Mark, hi, low, FF on Twitter. Welcome. I did it again. I'm not used to this. <laughs> The muting yeah. your mic, the, the muting your mic at the beginning of the show. At least this time, I knew what it was right away. Uh, I'm welcome. Out Thanks, man. Glad to be back, Todd. OWS Nation. Let's talk some football, man. So, Mark, 
this week we have a plethora of riches. Um, for a three uh, a three lineup guy like yourself, how does having a lot of value affect what you do, if at all? It makes it more difficult, to be honest. Uh, it plays to the MME uh, kind of style. So you really have to dig deep and find ways to, dif- one, differentiate yourself, and two, take stands. And that's uh, kind of what I'm doing this week. Yeah, there's so many good plays this week. Um, you know, I, I I am, like, really upset with DraftKings last year that they just made salaries too difficult. And, you know, you always had a guy or two in your lineup you really didn't want to play. I think that saps the fun out of it. But it can it, this saps the fun out of it, but not as much. Um, you know, I'm doing 50 lineups or 55 lineups tomorrow um, to take advantage of the slate. Uh, and one of the key things we're going to talk about tonight is how to differentiate it's almost a game-by-game game discussion more than a position-by-position position discussion, Mark. Would you agree? Uh, it depends. Uh, if you're thinking traditional, like, MME pivots, uh, and I, I've talked a little bit about pivots versus leverage uh, in both my course and the weekly articles. If you're talking more MME, the mindset is a little bit more towards pivots where you're looking for ownership leverage, uh, it's a little bit different for a single entry in three max leverage. When I say that word, I, I guess I used it loosely here explaining it, but um, you're really looking to kind of differentiate your lineup as a whole. Um, and the, the game by game uh, pivots we'll say uh, are become a little bit less important. So when I'm kind of looking at a slate, I kind of try and pick out uh, what we'll call the chalk build uh, that I've talked about uh, to last year. Um, but how, how I think people are going to approach the slate from a roster construction standpoint and how do I differentiate myself as a lineup as a whole uh, with that in mind. What happens when you leverage your pivots? Your brain explodes. You become a fish <laughs> and you swim. Um, yeah. So I had to get, I had to get something in. So, but that's an excellent point. That, that, that is an excellent point. Why don't you repeat that point again, if the, the last one at the end? Yeah, so my, my goal when I'm attacking a slate is I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the likeliest scenario for the field, uh, how their likeliest scenario in a roster construction sense, how they're going to attack the slate. So I'm looking to differentiate my lineups that I enter, especially particularly in single entry and three max from the likeliest scenario build, uh, what I call the chalk build. Yeah, and and because there's so many values, I think we're going to see less chalk. And, you know, we also then need to differentiate between good chalk and bad chalk. Um, so we'll, we'll get into all that, but I agree. And my lineup is rocking and ready as it relates to um, – Exactly what you're talking about. So let, let's start off with that, because I think, you know, right now, the chalkiest players on the slate are Zeke, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, three, you know, mostly expensive running backs, uh, mm-hmm. and Devontae Adams. I think those are going to be your four chalkiest plays and how, you know, we can differentiate 
off of that. And then also the chalkiest game on the slate is clearly going to be the Dallas Atlanta game. JM, it was very clear that he's eating the chalk this week and trying to come up with ways to be different. So as we go through our lineups, Mark, we'll, we'll touch on those two key points, I think. Yeah, for sure. And those points that you just brought up right now uh, are basically the entire premise of what I dig into uh, in the end around for week two. So if you haven't read that, go check it out. Yeah, I, I, I didn't quite get to it today. I, uh, you know, oh, with the God, moving, you know, the moving and the, and the offers and the, and just catching, I, I didn't get to JM stuff until um, late in the afternoon. All right. So let's Congrats, start by at the, the way. I'm going to throw that in. That's big news for your personal life, man. Congrats on that. I know. I know if, if it goes through and she put in for 30 days. So, you know, I could be out and, and, and just done in about 30 days. It would be amazing. You're um, a peacock, man. You just want to fly. I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting. All right. We'll, we'll get into that more. Let's start at the quarterback position. JM went with, um, Kyler in his bottom up build, which I thought was interesting. And I feel like sometimes the, the terms change. Um, you know, to me, it was always, the, you know, you start out with the lowest price guy that you would feel pretty comfortable with. Um, Kyler, as you know, is my favorite quarterback of the week as, uh, it, you know, it's not a shock that that would happen. Uh, he is in my main build, but Mitch Trubisky was in my bottom up build. Um, I also have a good bit of uh, unlike last week where I could, you know, and this is where the the pricing really gets interesting. Uh, I don't have a core that I feel really good about. So uh, I'm, I'm more, you know, I've got more of a traditional Todd, five or six QBs. Uh, Lamar Jackson is one of them. Um, Dak is one of them. Josh Allen is one of them. Uh, and then I, I take a shot here and there on uh, Matt Ryan, Watson, Ben. Uh, but those are the, the, the main guys that I'm, I'm using this week. One of the key takeaways for me at quarterback last week, uh, Mark, was the fact that Kyler got 13 rushing attempts. And Josh Allen was right there, too. And if, if Kyler, you know, Kyler's going to get rushed just like he did against San Francisco, but the back end, the linebackers in the secondary aren't as good as they are in San Francisco. We're, you know, I could see Kyler, you know, getting 10 to 13 rushes, but this time ripping, you know, a 40 yarder off. Uh, I just think his floor is fabulous. It should be a fast paced game. Uh, I, I'm on Mr. Murray this week. Uh, where did your quarterback start and where did they finish? Yeah, so I kind of went a little inverse and I cheated a little bit early week with the bottom up build and I started with Josh Allen at 6,700. Uh, that was really, I, I really was keying in on the fact that Buffalo bumped their pass play rate from 56% last year to 70 or to 61% in week one. Um, and I was really liking the, you know, a, a, a mini or a full Buffalo stack. 
but then just so much value opened up that I didn't see the necessary, I didn't deem it necessary because, because of the unknowns with how Buffalo is going to choose to attack this game. We know that they're highly, they like to kind of change their game plan, uh, very opponent specific. So with Miami, I, I pictured laying in bed on Tuesday night, like, oh man, they're going to just split 40 carries between Josh Allen and their two running backs. And then they're not going to have any passing volume. So uh, came off him, and now, again, this is kind of a weird week for me, but now my favorite quarterback on the slate is actually Sam Darnold at 5,100, uh, which you're probably going to laugh in my face. Uh, but I dig, into, I dig into that matchup uh, extensively in the uh, end around, uh, so you'll, you'll understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about there when you read it. Um, but I just think we're not going to, we, we might not have another option or possibility for six X on a quarterback this entire year. And I think the possibility is there for Sam Darnold this week. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, well, I think what's great about Darnold this week is you can lock in pretty easily on who you want to stack them with. Um, and it's pretty cheap. I, I will go there myself, um, back to Josh Allen. I think that um, what I like, you know, I was all excited about the pass rate too. And then I realized they played the Jets and that the Jets are, you know, a a funnel, uh, a a pass funnel. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, though, I don't think Josh Allen needs that to be successful. But what I am doing with my Josh Allen lineups is taking something that JM talked a lot about this week, which is not being a, and and also I forget his name, the guy who does. Uh, let me look. Uh, let me give credit where credit is due. Uh, Sonic. So, what I what I it, it, you know not being afraid to. I think Josh Allen's a great way to differentiate uh, some of your Dallas uh, Atlanta uh, action. You know, if you mm-hmm. want to be a little different while having a bunch of people from that game, you could, you know, mix a running back with a couple receivers and not play the quarterback and hope that Kyler or Josh Allen with that rushing floor hit their ceiling with the ceiling game of, uh, of the week. And so I think that, you know, Josh Allen is an interesting way to differentiate if you're playing more lineups, Mark. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And that's kind of an MME, uh, pivot. Like we kind of discussed too earlier. It's um, not leverage. The, yeah. The leverage would be to <laughs> go down at quarterback. Cause we, it, we, we basically the rest of our lineup would look similar to the Dak lineups if we just went Dak to Josh Allen. Um, so the the actual leverage play is to either pay down or go all the way up to Lamar Jackson. The rest of your lineup look different than the Dak lineups. And, that and that's what I did with um, with you know my Lamar lineups. Uh, I would say fifty percent of my Lamar lineups have a Ravens receiver. And 50% key in on games um, and and do that strategy that uh, Sonic and JM talked about. So um, yep. for me, paying down 
and, and you talk about leverage. Well, Josh Allen last week, the pass rate was up because they were playing the Jets. This week, the team playing the Jets are the Niners. Jimmy Garoppolo, who I loved before his knee injury, really hasn't been the same player since his knee injury. Uh, he just doesn't look the same in the pocket. It seems like his confidence isn't the same. But, you know, they're going to pass more. And you can lock up. Uh, J.M. alluded to it a little bit, but and I, I didn't total it up. But I've got one stack with Jimmy G, Jordan Reed, and Jarek McKinnon. And, you know, we talk about these team blocks uh, against the pass funnel team. I, I really like that one this week. I like the concept of stacking up San Francisco's pass catchers. But if it were me, I would go Jarek McKinnon and Brandon Ayuk, who I expect uh, to basically be utilized similar to how Debo was. And in that offense, in that matchup, he really, really brings a lot of juicy yard after catch upside. Uh, yeah, so I, wise, I, I need to make more lineups still. Um, and, and that's one that I'm definitely going to do. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, the, I think that pretty much, uh, so you're just playing Darnold in three lineups. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, thanks for outing me. But, yeah, I'm going three of three Darnold this week, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, it Honestly, from, you know, the research I did to uncover the play, uh, I could not have seen myself saying that, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday. But really, as the week has progressed, as the injuries to San Francisco's secondary and now D Ford is also out, so pass rush is affected – uh, I really, really think that it's an edge this week to pull the full stack of Darnold, and we'll talk about the other guys. Um, and really, you only you need under 50 points from those three, or 16.4 per player to hit 4x. So I think it's a highly leveraged position because of the value that is available on the slate as a whole. And there's not going to be many rosters that pull the New York Jets stack. So. That's how I think I to... think I will put in one or two out of respect for you, um, but <laughs> Thanks, I hope <laughs> by the end of I, I hope by the end of Sunday you're not going to be a total mental gaze. Oh damn, that was a that was solid, dude. That was a good one. Thank I you. One. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Where's you. Where's the drum roll? The, uh, uh, yeah, I got to. I was just going to look for it. <laughs> I even surprised myself a little bit with that one. Where did I put yeah, it? Yeah, caught yourself off guard there. Um, uh, I just hope at the end of Sunday you're not a total mental gaze. Yes. All right. Be All right. more prepared next time, man, because that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my mind and, and my body aren't always in sync these days. All right, so – Let's move over to the running back position where um, I already mentioned who the chalk was. Uh, where did you start with your bottom up build and where did you uh, and how have you differentiated at the running? I know, I know the answer to one of these. I think half of Twitter yeah. knows the answer to one of these, but um, <laughs> explain the process and the 51% snap rate. I mean, um, yep. 
so I started the week with Kenyon Drake at 5,900 against Washington. Um, two pace up offenses. Oh, yeah, give me that background. Two pace up offenses. Uh, there's going to be a lot of snaps. And if Kenyon Drake sees 71% of the snap rate again, uh, he's. He's gonna That's what all uh, the people say. And then this is going to surprise you, but the second running back was James Robinson uh, at 4,400. Um, and that stemmed from my kind of keying in on this Jacksonville, Tennessee game as one of the highest leverage places this week. Um, and with his snap rate, uh, you know, he was up at, I think, 68% in week one. And the amount of rushes that I th- or touches that I think that's going to translate to in this game, it's going to be a very slow, grinded-out game uh, with really neither team. Uh, actually, Jacksonville is probably going to have the better chance at, at splash plays. Um, but I really think he his floor is probably 18 touches this week, and his ceiling is probably 22 to 24 touches uh, at 4,400. That's a that's a pretty smash play. Yeah, I. I... I get, I get it. I just think on a, I, I just don't know that there's the ceiling there. Um, yeah, there uh, isn't, and there's so much value available this week that you don't need to go there. Uh, I mean, if this were a standard week, he would be much more of a much more of a strong play. Oh, but uh, I'm this sorry, week you really I, don't need I, it. I got confused. That's where you started. Okay, that's where I started. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. We're good. We're good. Uh, where I ended, so. You nailed in the intro or when we were discussing the, you know, likeliest place for people to go and the chalk, the chalk this week is 100% pay up at running back, pay down at wide receiver. And furthermore, I guess the, the two pay up at running back is likely going to be paired with who I think is going to be the most owned player on the slate. Um, and that's Jonathan Taylor. So Zeke, Henry Taylor, that's going to be at least 20% owned in tournaments this week. Um, I covered that in the end around and the ways to leverage that with really not needing the value to pay down at running back. The way to leverage that is to pay up times three at running back and that'll force your roster to be different in other places. Um, So I really like Zeke. Um, I just think that the, there's such little path to failure for him with, you know, a floor of 22 touches in a game that might have the most plays run from scrimmage uh, all year. Just, you know, you have two top five pass offenses uh, in, in pass play rate matching up together. And this is just, it's again, I'm eating the chalk in that game as well. Like you alluded to earlier, but I'm doing it with Zeke and differentiating elsewhere. Um, And then one guy that is, absolutely not being talked about at all this week is Christian McCaffrey. And I don't think I, I would guess I didn't look at his ownership uh, this week so far, I don't think, but I would guess he's probably in the five to six range percentage range. Nine to 12, nine to 12 on ETR. And uh, I'll look on uh, collective. Okay. Yeah, so the matchup on the ground is difficult for Christian McCaffrey, right? But we don't know. It's kind of leveraging the unknowns with respect to the coaching staff, the regime change, right? 12, so we 12, don't know. Um, 12 there. 
Okay. So he's not so we don't he's know. not low owned, but he's low owned for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, exactly. And the with the chalk with Zeke and with the chalk with uh, Henry, I just don't I don't I really I don't see him busting the ten percent in the in you know in GPPs this week. And it's leveraging again the unknowns in that we don't know if four targets like he saw in week one is his norm in negative game scripts this year with the new coaching staff or if it's going to resort back to, uh, you know, the 8 to 12 target range in negative game scripts. So if it does back into the 8 to 12, you know, re- revert back to last year, and the best way to attack this Tampa Bay defense is with deep and with uh, passes to the running back. So it really sets up well. It's an interesting game uh, for uh, the matchup between Carolina and Tampa Bay. I think it has a chance to go over, and I'm kind of just leveraging uh, a little bit with Christian McCaffrey there. Uh, so really, like I think it's I think then, it's a really interesting way to differentiate this week because he is going to be underowned. Um, yeah. Now, do you have him in 33, 66, or 100 percent of your lineups? I've got CMC in 66. I've got him in two of three right now. Um, and, and how about the- Player. How about Aaron Jones? Aaron Jones, bingo. That is my 100% owned running back for this week. Uh, he'll yeah, be in I mean, everyone lineups. knows that by now. In fact, uh, yeah. I think Trump just tweeted about it. Well, perfect. He tweets about all kinds of nonsense. So this yeah. is probably just another I mean, nonsense. you know, yeah. uh, I, I think he – I totally think that Halo is, is just a little <laughs> too over it on, on, on Aaron Jones. It's not a problem. Yeah, I mean, with with the Packers, that, that's not a negative have... or a positive, by the way, guys. I wouldn't do that on one week season. It's just yeah. an imitation. There you go. Um, you have so, in that Packers run game this week. You have the best offensive line versus defensive line mismatch uh, on the slate, and we expect uh, you know we expect the Packers to score points. We know the ownership is going to go through um, Devontae Adams. Uh, so it's just such a high leverage play, especially with the chalk that, uh, you know, is going to be at the running back position with Henry, uh, you know, the three guys, I'm not going to name again, but three guys we talked about earlier. So high leverage play. love it this week. And uh, CMC, really... Aaron Jones, and who else is in your, uh, we got, we got to kind of get it moving or we're going to, yeah, uh, no we'll, we'll run out of time. So uh, who else are your RBs? CMC, Zeke, Aaron Jones, and Drake are my top four running backs on the slate. CMC, then you said it so fast I didn't catch it. Sorry, CMC, Aaron Jones, uh, Zeke, and Kenyon Drake are my top four oh, running backs. Awesome list. Play. Awesome. Awesome job. All right, so my running backs on my main uh, – so basically for me, um, my main team right now, and it's not 100% settled, but you sold me on Aaron Jones. Um, I'm concerned about the 51% uh, snap rate last week, but at the same time, this guy has a huge ceiling. The floor is not terrible. I, I mean, last week he he gave us 17 points uh, and he's 7-1. So if he does that again, he doesn't kill you. But if you get that three touchdown game, you're living large. I've got Zeke yep. in uh, in my um, in my main team. Uh, my third guy, and it's mainly because of how I played. Um, I had I had Kenyon Drake in there all week, 
I, and, and then ownership on Kenyon Drake kind of, I thought Drake was going to be a low owned guy. I, I, I did. I thought, you know, and, and the, he's 11% on one site and 13 to 16% on the other. I'll still be over on him. Um, but I think that, you know, JM is on Jordan Reed. Uh, Miller is going to have ownership too at Tampa. Everyone's on the, the running game. Right now I've got Ronald Jones. This, and it, it feels weird to say it because I was fading him all off offseason. Uh, but Ronald Jones right now is my third guy. Uh, I've got a lot of Drake. Um, I've got a lot of Miles Sanders. I think Miles Sanders is, you know, it, it, I know you're not on that play, but I, I've got a good, decent bit of Sanders. I'm under on Taylor. I'm under on uh, my boy, Derek Henry. And uh, let's see. I got an, uh, uh, one guy that I, I, I'm going to be over the field on is uh, Devin Singletary. I think that he is an interesting GPP play. Uh, I've definitely – oh, and Gibson. I, I've got a decent amount of Gibson. One thing I love to do week two is be over 2X on – the post-hype guys, the guys who mm-hmm. uh, were, 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 you know, I faded last week when everyone was on him. F- for all the reasons everyone were, was on him last week, I think he's worth 2x this week. And let's see. Totally agree from an MME uh, mindset, for sure. Yep. And, and like, Sanders like also. I mean, Sanders' ownership is going to be low. And, uh, you know, he was a first-round pick in fantasy this year. They, they talked about feeding him. He's a, he can run. He can catch. I understand the downside, but at low ownership and 6%. Um, so your thoughts on my running backs? Oh, and I got, I got, a, I got a smattering of CEH. No, I, uh, that's, I think that's hyper sharp. I like it. All right. So we go over to wide receiver, and this is where I am differentiating my team. I've got three mid-priced wide receivers. Um, I said that I had Zeke. I want to have uh, three parts of that Dallas game, but I want the lowest ownership parts. I think Julio, Mm -hmm. because he's only 600 more than Ridley, is going to carry most of the ownership. I crushed with Ridley last week. I didn't expect to get back to him this week, but Ridley is in there. Um, I'm a little worried about my next pick uh, only because the logic I use to get there, I've heard almost every analyst use as well. And it's, I've got Michael Gallup as my second guy. And I feel like, you know, again, he was, you know, Cooper got all the targets last week but I think that Michael Gallup would just missed having a big day and in a blow up spot, I think he's got the highest ceiling um, of the three and for the price he fits. And then Paris uh, Campbell is expensive, is very inexpensive. T Y Hilton. I think his ownership's going to be down. T Y has always done really well on the turf in Indianapolis. Those are my three main uh, lineup wide receivers right now. I've got plenty of Julio though. I'm fading Corey Davis. 
Um, I still got a good bit of Paris Campbell. Uh, another post-type sleeper, Terry McLaurin, I will be over the field on. I've got a very good amount of C.D. Lamb. I think you really need to pound that. I'm a little under on Deontay Johnson. And, um, I'll pro- you know, Mike Evans really interested me until I saw his ownership heading into the 20s. And so I'll be about even weight on him and I'll be over the field on Scotty Miller. So again, the way to play, I'm playing that Tampa, Tampa Bay team is I'm going with Ronald Jones and Scotty Miller over Mike Evans about even. Those are my key uh, wide receiver decisions, Mark. Uh, there might be one other guy I missed. Your thoughts on mine and then give us yours. No, I, uh, I I don't disagree anywhere. Uh, where I started the week was Quintez Cephas at 3,800, Russell Gage at 4,800, and Brashad Perryman at 3,800. And they kind of stuck around all week for me. Uh, that's kind of where I'm going. Uh, pay up times three in my main lineup at running back. Uh, so looking for the times three value at wide receiver. And Quintez Cephas, I've hyped him for the last three months. Uh, so I'm sticking on the Cephas train. Uh, I think it just sets up so well for him uh, with Jair Alexander uh, probably duking it out with Marvin Jones for majority of the game. Uh, just sets up a, uh, so well again for volume for him. Russell Gage is a play on the matchup. Uh, Dallas is going to look to keep the game in front of them and force the short area targets. He might carry more ownership after his 12-target game last week. But I think his likeliest scenario in this game is another 8 to 10 targets with ceiling for 12-plus again. Uh, so I don't hate Russell Gage at 4,800. Uh, and then the obvious Rashad Perriman uh, with how banged up that Jets offense is. Uh, again, I think between Perriman and Herndon, who we'll get to here in a minute, uh, it's almost locked in 20-plus targets. So. Uh, I'll just take that uh, to the bank, hopefully, uh, if not uh, to the, I don't know, massage parlor. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, well, uh, we'll n- no comment. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't like your team this week. <laughs> Good. That's perfect. I love it. I know, because not- whenever I don't like your team, you win. <laughs> not that, not bad, but if you don't like it, then nobody else is going to like it, and that's what I want uh, right. in single entry. And, and you're nine. trying to take down the GPP. You have winnings from last week, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Let's move over to the tight end position, Mark. Uh, oh, let me just give everyone um, – where did I finish up? I, I started – with uh, my wide receivers were uh, real, real standard. Because again, I, I, I take the old way we did things at one week season still very seriously. I want guys who have a great floor and a great ceiling. Uh, mm-hmm. So my, my, my three were CD Lamb, Paris Campbell, and Deontay Johnson, you know, guys who were getting number one volume that were all under $5,000. Where did you start at tight end? Uh, I started the week at tight end down to two tight ends uh, between Chris Herndon and um, Logan Thomas. Hold on here. Logan Thomas. Yeah, thank you. That guy, I can never remember his name, but he's on every one of my dynasty teams. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 
It is. It is such a generic name. Yeah, it's like the Robert Woods of tight ends. I'll take it. But yeah, the uh, the volume and the matchups uh, really set up well for both those guys. And then as the week progressed with the Jets, I was just more and more uh, on Herndon. Um, and I think that will play from a leverage point as well. One, in the stack, and two, with probably more ownership flowing to Logan Thomas than Herndon after Herndon was hyped last week and then disappointed um, and the inverse for Logan Thomas, where he was not hyped last week, and I played him on both of my lineups, and now he's beginning the hype. Uh, so it's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I'll probably be two. Uh, I might go two of three Herndon and one Logan Thomas, and I might go two of Herndon and one of Janu Smith, who might be one of my favorite plays on the slate. Uh, so working to get the salary to fit Janu Smith in couple places yeah i i started the week with um logan thomas and i i'm I, i'm gonna have a lot of john let's see where i'm at john wise right now and yeah, john is just such a high leverage play this week with the chalk on henry and then we thank you for stealing my thunder point. Sorry, Corey Davis. Uh, Corey Davis is going to have. <laughs> That's a exactly what well. I was going to say. I've got 23% yeah, so. Janu right now, and um, I, I think that'll be enough to be leveraged. Let's look at ownership. You know, tight ends rarely get high ownership. Uh, right now, Logan Thomas 13 to 16, Herndon 13 to 16, Andrews 9 to 12. Yeah, I mean Janu's 5 to 8. So I got plenty. Yeah. And and I wasn't gonna you know, I wasn't gonna play Jordan Reed even after the Kittle news. But when I decided to you know when I when I built my team, it you know I had like three or four lineups this week, and the same thing last week that I really liked, and I clicked the button, and I'm a hundred dollars under, over. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I finally found a team, two teams that I liked, one with Lamar Jackson and one with, you know, by dropping down to Ronald Jones, up to Ridley with Gallup. So now I've got three players from that blow-up game and probably the, th- you know, I got one that's going to probably be the most stoned with two lower-owned guys. I've got Aaron Jones, which really differentiates the team and I've got Ronald Jones, who's the lowest guy that I feel like has a really good floor. And I had 2,600 left over with the defense, that one of the two or three defenses I liked. So I, I am going back to the well on Jordan Reed. I can't say that I'm not scared about it. But even last week with Kittle there, Jordan Reed got us, um, you know, two targets, two catches, and 3.2 points. I find it hard to believe that he's not going to get three or four catches this week and get us at least 10 points. And if he falls into the end zone, Yahtzee. So uh, his ownership also is, you know, I think five to 8%. The Jets are a pass funnel team. Uh, I think that Jordan Reed is a solid play. Um, I, I have a good bit of Mark. I tried desperately to get up to Mark Andrews in my main build. Uh, it just, that was one or two of the ones that were, I was a hundred dollars away on. 
I've got a little mm-hmm. bit of Jordan How- uh, O.J. Howard. I've got some Herndon. I've got some Logan Thomas. Uh, I would say that the, uh, I got a little bit of Hurst, a little bit of Gasicki, uh, but mainly it's uh, Janu, Reed, and uh, Andrews. Yeah, so I'll just throw the caution out there just on Jordan Reed just because I'm the single-entry three-max guy. Uh, The snap rate in week one was only 10 snaps, so 16%. Uh, And if I were a betting man, I'd guess that likely maybe doubles. Uh, But he is just not good at blocking. And with what we know, San Francisco, how we know they want to run their offense – they really value a blocking tight end. So I'd look for Ross Dwelly uh, to actually out-snap Jordan Reed this week. Um, but and, and he's, a, he's that, a decent player. Yeah, at that at that price, it's not going to burn you. Uh, but I would caution against this ceiling, uh, which is going to be tough to come by. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I like I, I still might – trying okay so i got this question in uh the discord chat once i come to my main team i try uh you know after the pod and sunday morning what i do is i try and break my team and what i mean by Mm -hmm. that is i'll just keep throwing different things into it and see if i find something i like better i am very much holding it i am very much open to getting up to janu uh, or even Logan Thomas, but mm-hmm. I just love the leverage that this team has so much. You know, uh, I, I you know I would like to also get up from Ronald Jones back to Drake possibly. I think Kyler and Drake together is still going to be low owned. One thing we didn't mm-hmm. mention at wide receiver is Hopkins is not looking like he's going to have a lot of ownership, which really surprised me. And that's really what happened what, what, as to why I got off of Drake. I thought Drake was going to be like 5 to 7% owned and Hopkins was going to be like 25 to 30% owned. And it's just not playing out that way. Um, so, um, you know, I get the Ronald Jones leverage on the, on the Tampa Bay passing game. I get the, the Gallup on Cooper leverage, Ridley on Julio. There's, there's just a lot to like on this team, but I agree with you, Jordan Reed. Um, it, it, it was, it was a very thin play. I'm embarrassed about it and I'm a little <laughs> embarrassed about going back to it, but um, you know, my over, even though he's in all my single entries right now, that he's only in 24% of my lineups. Normally a guy on my single entry team is at least in the forties. So, um, yeah, I would uh, one, two, three, four, five, six out of my six of my positions are over 40 percent this week in my single. One. I'm a lot more spread this week than normal. All right. Let's move yeah. on to defense. Um, for me, defense. Uh, I got a couple last week. I had a couple I didn't like at each place. This week, I've got a few that I like at each uh, area. I really think the Colts at 2,500 is – they're in my main lineup. They fit. Um, I've got 36% of the Colts' defense, and I just think, you know, 
if they get ahead in this one, you know, I, what do you look for? You look for home favorites uh, with, uh, you know, chalky running backs and the Colts are the, you know, they, they fit the bill at 2,500. I think yeah, the well, card. I'd... Go ahead. Sorry. I differ uh, from the field and what I look for in a defense. Uh, the, the chalk thing, I think that the field looks for, and this is just because it's been what's taught is looking for, and then a home favorite. I kind of flip that on its head. And one of my rules is no road underdogs um, as opposed to no home favorites. And what that just kind of opens it up to about 25% more uh, defenses that are in consideration and the main thing that I look for in finding a, a defense is net adjusted sack rate. You know, I kind of harp on this all the time. Pressure creates mistakes, turnovers, which create defensive points. So um, it's a little thin this week. I'll let you fin it up. I'd finish up your defenses. I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, but I wanted to throw that in there, uh, kind of how I approach defense. And, and, I like, and I like that too. And I do look at the, 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 the mismatches. Um, the other one that I am I'm really came around on is a pay-up defense, and that's the Bears. Daniel Jones has been a turnover machine. I know it's not a typical road game where you don't have the fans, uh, but uh, Chicago is a, a, a you know, I, I'm looking for some pick sixes, right? And I think Daniel Jones gives me a very good chance of getting that. And I also think Khalil Mack against the Giants rookie uh, offensive lineman gives me that. Uh, I I do also think that the Chargers at 2000 is that's where I started the week. And I think there's some other good defenses out there. I I know Arizona is chalky for some reason. Um, Miami and the Jets are chalky, but I, I think the few extra hundred for the Colts, I like the Titans at 3,500, uh, Pittsburgh at 38, but I've really come around on the Bears. I don't think too many people are going to be on them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, really, I've I started the week on the Rams at 2,800, and again, you know, same reasoning why I liked uh, Washington last week when no one was on them. Uh, but that Philadelphia offensive line is just beat to shit. Um, and when you've got uh, pass rushers that the Rams have, uh, there's just going to be a lot of pressure um, again on Wentz. And if they come back with the same game plan where they are looking for splash plays and a lot of their routes are deep with Ragor and uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, there's really going to be opportunities for pressure on the quarterback and mistakes to be made. Um, they ended up the week being one of my two favorite, uh, and the other is the Steelers. And then just because of how salary worked, I do like the Cardinals at 3000 um, as well. They ended up the week being one of my two. Yeah, sorry. I had to call Lex, and he was listening to the show, which is nice. But go ahead, Mark. Oh, no, no, that's it. Uh, the Rams and the Steelers are my two favorite, and the tertiary option in the mid-range would be the Cardinals. Okay. Um, that's going to do it for my segment with Mark. Um, any final thoughts on the slate, uh, Mark? Uh, it's a super chalky slate uh, with 
the roster construction piece that we talked about earlier. So look for ways to make your lineup as a whole different from what the field is likely to do uh, without making suboptimal plays. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for my boy Hilo FF on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, get his course. His course is, I think the first five episodes are free, right, Mark? Yes, sir. And then it's uh, 19 or $29. And you want to learn more about game theory, Mark's your, your guy. Last week he hit for $1,500 of profit. And I am hoping that, no offense, Mark, that you're not that profitable this week, because if you are, I'm probably <laughs> not. Oh, man. Love it. Uh, well, actually, I think you're so out of it. Like, you, I, could, I could make a good amount of money, and you could crush. Uh, so yeah. I do take Let's that back. That. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, yeah. Uh, let's hope for, for you and – Oh, it doesn't want to do it again. For me. All right. That's going to do it for for Mark. Uh, We'll talk to you next week, Mark, and great luck tomorrow. All right, man. Likewise. We'll see you. Yep. All right. It's time for our Lex is More segment. Uh, With everything going on in my life, I did not have the ability to uh, make some kind of cool entrance for Lex. But at least I gave the, the, the segment a cool name. Lex, welcome to, uh, back to the Run to Daylight show. Hey, Todd. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. I am so glad to have you here. Um, and, and I really mean it. Lex is more. Uh, what I want to do this week is I want to, you know, I want to come, you know, all Lex's bullet points are right next to JM's information on the edge. As I mentioned last week uh, in my segment with JM, what I like to do is I like to read Lex's bullet points first. I feel like it gives me a nice setting for what I'm going to read with um, JM. And then I can take it from there. So uh, for what we're going to do in this segment you know, we can't give you every bullet point, um, but I, what, I've, what I've done is I've asked Lex to come up with four or five bullet points each week of things that he doesn't see the field, that, that he thinks you need to know most out of all his work. And the first one has something to do with a Buffalo running back and not the one that I mentioned, Lex. Um, you, you have, uh, some interesting feelings on Zach Moss, correct? Uh, yeah, like a little bit. I just, I found some interesting things that I, I just thought were worth mentioning about it. Um, do you, do you want me to just start right off with it? Yeah. Um, okay. So, so basically in, in the new England Miami game last week, uh, the, the, the Patriots got to the red zone four times. They scored on three of them, and the only one they didn't was a one-play drive in which Harry, you know, was an inch from a touchdown and fumbled out of the end zone. So Miami's red zone defense was pretty horrendous to start, and the Buffalo red zone offense in week one kicked four field goals and fumbled, like lost a fumble. So, like, there's a lot of points that were left on the board there, and Zach Moss led the team with ten red zone looks, and I think he uh, had six 
in the green zone too, so the within ten yards. So, I mean, like Singletary did out snap him by a good amount, and he, you know, he out targeted him. He ran uh, according to player profile the most routes. So you're still dealing with that kind of uncertainty and role. But I do just think it was interesting, like how bad Miami was in the red zone and uh, how big Moss's usage was in the first week versus a pretty stout run defense. Well, what I like about both Singletary and Moss, I'm not playing Moss because you just can't play everyone that you like. And, you get, you know, when you're, when you're looking for leverage, and I'm always looking for leverage. So when I have a low-owned play and a guy who's 2 to 4%, well, right now I've got, let's see. Let's see what uh, Singletary and Moss is. So right now Singletary's in the 2 to 4% range. Uh, for um, ETR, and so is Moss. And then you go to R, uh, and let's see, Singletary 2.46, and Moss, boy, I'm still looking for Moss. Where's Moss? Okay, there he is, Uh, 2.88. So you, you don't need a ton of leverage uh, so I've got 9% Singletary. So I've got almost five times the field. But if I split them, I would barely have 2x on a low play. So I'm picking Singletary, and I'll tell you why. Because the guy who catches the pass, it's DraftKings point per PPR. And then you hope, you know, he, you know, uh, when you catch a pass, you're more likely to make a big play. So you catch that screen, you break a tackle or two, and now it's a, you know, a 50 yard. It's much easier to you see that more often than you do a, a guy like Moss break off a 50 yard run. But as you point out, another way to look at that is Moss is the guy with the touchdown equity. And what I like about that is the fact that that's what's going to keep people off Singletary, even though he out touched Moss and in my view played better as well. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I mean, like I said, I think he was the he ran the most routes of any running back in week one, so he was clearly out there for a lot of their pass plays. Yep. <clears throat> um, what do you think about Josh Allen? Um, you know, do you have any concerns about Josh Allen uh, uh, poaching poaching think- those reds? You know, do you think that do you think that was a signal? You know, that Moss got all those red zone touches. Or, you know, are you concerned about Josh Allen? I, I would always be concerned about Allen in the red zone, just the way they use him and then his tendency to want to take off anyway. Um, and Cam Newton was responsible for two of those red zone touchdowns Miami allowed. So there definitely is concern with Allen taking those. And I think that would be the main thing. If you're, if you're not, you know, on the moss at all, like, you know, there's a good, good chance that it's because Allen is the one taking up that goal line work. All right. Um, the next point that you wanted to talk about is something that I definitely agree with you on, and that's the Colt wide receivers. Right. So, okay. So the Colts already lost Doyle. They lost Mac. And then I think they still don't have Burton back. So, and I think actually even Michael Pittman might not play this week. So their, their target um, distribution is very tight. And uh, Campbell and Hilton each had nine targets in week one. And Hilton, like, I think he only he had 53 yards, but he also dropped a couple passes on that last drive. So both of them could have had, you know, really nice-looking days in week one. 
And um, and that was against a pretty, you know, surprisingly good secondary that Jacksonville put out. Um, Minnesota in week one was beat all over the place, including by uh, MBS. He had uh, two deep ball catches, including a deep touchdown. And then I think he had another one that he dropped, um, or at least was close to hitting on. And um, we have obviously T.Y. Hilton has been one of the best deep threats in football during his career. And Paris Campbell is one of the fastest players in the NFL. Um, JM talked about in the edge, Minnesota, like Mike Zimmer doesn't always rely on the talent. I believe it's like about communication. And uh, with that being so kind of patchwork to start the year, um, this defense is still going to be in trouble with those guys that are, you know, just able to break off a big play, you know, right off the bat, you know, any, at any time during the game. So I like those two a lot just because you have the target volume assurance and the fact that both are big play threats. Yeah, for me, it's just a matter of, you know, I'm looking to play the ownership game and the updated ownership has one site has Hilton over Campbell. The other site has Campbell over Hilton. Um, I like them both, uh, you know, and if I go down from Hilton to Campbell in my main lineup and, you know, that twelve, that $1,400, that gets me off to Jordan Reed if I want and gets me up to Logan Thomas and then, but then it doesn't get me up to Drake from Ronald Jones. So I don't really accomplish what I want, but if I go Herndon, uh, 600 still misses by a hundred dollars. So it doesn't help me with the Jordan Reed situation. It it would get me up to, um, yeah. So it's, uh, I think Hilton, ultimately, I think Hilton's going to be the lower-owned guy. I, I just, I just ultimately, I think Hilton's going to be the one who's a little lower-owned. Um, but we'll see. Uh, but I agree with you, uh, and it's a great way to, you know, leverage the Jonathan Taylor ownership. I think. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely, for sure. Phillip Rivers is going to have tons of time to throw behind that line. Minnesota's defensive line is just totally depleted. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, boy, I, I do like Campbell too. Right now I've got 26% Hilton and he's in all my main lineups. So I've got 15% Paris without it. If I, so I'm actually a little higher on Paris overall. Um, let's move over to the New York football giants. My, uh, quote, favorite team that I find hard to even watch anymore uh, during the Gettleman era. Uh, You like Evan Ingram this week. Yeah, I was surprised. I was looking at it, and I still don't know if that's the guy that I will play or not, but Chicago did get um, allowed kind of only one real viable fantasy performance in week one, and it was to Hawkinson. Um, And then Ingram, in his last seven games with Jones starting, has eight 7, 11, 5, 7, 8, 7 targets. So he's getting volume, um, and he's only finished below 40 yards twice in his last 15 games. So the production, is, I mean, well, 40 yards isn't a huge barrier for a tight end. That's that's pretty solid, and uh, he's been there very consistently. Um, I, he's just the guy that I know is going to get looks, and I'm, I know that Pat Thorman wrote up that game as a high, high-paced game. Um, so I think there should be a good amount of play volume. Um, the Bears didn't look as solid on the ground as I thought. So maybe 
maybe they rushed the ball a little bit more than, you know, you would have seen in week one versus Pittsburgh. But I don't know. I, I think that that volume is just interest, interesting, at least, you know, to see that Ingram has had that kind of connection with Jones. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm really, you know, Daniel Jones is a turnover machine and I, I like the Bears defense. Uh, Engram, you know, Engram is he's inconsistent, uh, but there's no, you know, if you're trying to take down a GPP, there's nobody who, ha- you know, there's few tight ends who have as much upside as he does. Right. Actually, I'll say this too: the Bears linebackers, Roquan Smith is still lost in coverage, and I saw all these people talking about how bad Trevathan looked um, the last week. So they're very shaky compared to what you think versus the cornerbacks the rookie cornerback looked more solid so that you know, that might mean a, a negative to the receivers whereas ingram could benefit from kind of the shakiness going on there got it all right let's go to a player we both uh agree on and that is uh mark andrews okay yeah so hold on let me pull that up that one got lost in here okay yeah so so Mark Andrews last year, um, I think he was like maybe the, the third highest, you know, tight end on the season. And uh, he only ran, he ranked 25th amongst all tight ends in routes run. Um, and so, you know, obviously Hayden Hurst left in the off season, got traded to uh, Atlanta. And uh, already in week one, uh, Andrews is like, I think the second highest tight end in routes run for dropbacks. He was there for 87% of Lamar's dropbacks. And uh, he also uh, tied for the NFL lead. He had three end zone targets in week one and he scored twice on those so usage is like everything that you could want already has been there um and houston continues to be best attack through the air i mean edward tiller actually did a pretty good job in week one but houston secondary is still just so weak travis Kelsey and on low volume still put up a solid game and scored um i think that's a very good spot for andrews as well yep i i agree totally i you know i i, I was telling mark that I was doing everything in my power to get up to Andrews, but it was too many. Um, it was just too many. It, it was, it just was too hard. Uh, I could, you know, I, I just didn't like the team better, but um, I found one team I told you that I really liked, but it was, there's nothing more frustrating than finally finding a team you really like and you're a hundred dollars away. And I've been plagued with that. The, um, I was plagued with that so far this year a couple times. Uh, Lex, thank you for joining us. We're looking forward to uh, Lex is more every week this season. I think we did four bullet points this time. I think next time we'll do five or six. Um, I think there's time for that. So in your planning for next week. um, And also tell everyone how they can find you on Twitter. Um, At Twitter, I am just my name, L-E-X. Uh, Moralia, M-I-R-A-G-L-I-A-A. It's just like it's spelled in the NFL Edge if you want to see it on there. Um, yeah, that's how you can find me on Twitter. I'll probably be just, you know, around the Edge stuff, retweeting that. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Lex, and we're, we're very excited to have you as part of the team. Lex's research is money, boys and girls. Make sure that you're not overlooking it when you do your research. All right. That's going to do it for the Lex's More segment. I'm going to call JM now.
Um, hopefully we don't have the problems that we had last um, last time. And already, I think this one's going to work. Nope, call failed again. I have no idea why this keeps happening. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing, uh, blog talk sometimes, and uh, it was a lot easier when people could call in and they would actually get in instead of me calling them. There we go. What is going on? Uh, I'm looking for Mr. Win, Mr. JM to win. <laughs> I think you got him right here. Awesome. How you doing, so, bud? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. So scale of one to Ted, how, how fatigued are you right now? Man, I feel great. Actually. I got uh, eight hours of sleep. I don't, I don't know if I've gotten that in a month. So uh, yeah, I feel, I feel good. I'm ready to stay up all night and build rosters. (laughs) All right. All right. So we're, you know, every week when we do get JM on, I I like to come from different angles and I, I feel like as I do my process, you guys who listen get your process taken care of as well. So one of the things that is um, very noticeable to me, and it's it, it it started as a trickle and it's turned into a bit of a river, is the change in JM's basic way that he goes about things. Uh, life changes, uh, process changes. And there's reasons for it, and JM talks a lot about it. But I, I, I want to kind of take people through the history a bit, JM. Uh, talk about your single entry days. Um, I'd say, you know, a couple, you know, one to two minutes of, you know, how did you get to where you were with single and, uh, or, you know, basically being a single entry guy for so many years? What was the edge that you found then? Well, I never thought about it. You know what I mean? Like I started playing DFS and that was just very natural to me to build one roster. And I started playing in 2013, but just played a few weeks. And then in 2014 did really well with MLB. And so by the time I hit NFL season that year, um, I had quite a bit of money to work with. So I'd already finished uh, seventh in a live final that year and, and, you know, had a big season even before that. And so I came into NFL with, you know, hefty bankroll and that one K tournament was what I'd gotten used to playing in MLB. And so back then the one K tournament, now it's, you know, anywhere now it's usually like 1500 buy-in and it's up to, uh, you know, 300, 400 entries. But back then it was typically 100, 200 entries. And I wouldn't even, mess around with other contests a lot of weekends and so uh, I would you know I've talked about the value of building a lot of rosters Todd you and I have talked about that since I don't know 2015 of just the value of building rosters and being able to see things from different angles so I would still build 60 70 80 100 rosters throughout the week but I was building all those rosters to get to what I felt was the roster that could win in that tournament And what I liked about that angle was you play that tournament every week and 
you're playing against the same people and you start to get a sense of a, a really strong sense of what the field is going to do. And it made it, I, I won't say easy, but you know, it created a very clear angle there for how to outmaneuver the field each week. And so it was obviously based primarily around who the best plays on the slate were and just thinking for myself and avoiding most of the group thinking. I mean, even now I'm that way, but I, I would hop on the Friday night podcast with Hefe and Levitan back then. And Levitan would bring up, somebody that everyone was talking about and it would be somebody I hadn't even thought of because I was just, you know, kind of avoiding all the external conversations and thinking for myself. And so that created a nice edge in those days in that tournament. And it was just a very natural process that brought me there. I did, you know, from time to time, I I might take 30 or 40 of the lineups that I built throughout the week that I liked and I'd throw them into the wildcat or I'd throw them into the Millie maker, but Um, or I might take 10, 15 rosters, but generally speaking, you know, four out of every five weeks, it was just the one roster, six out of every seven weeks, seven weeks, the one roster I built. And that was what I would roll with. Yeah. And and that's kind of been my process the last couple of years. I don't sit there and make a hundred lineups, but what I do is what I I like to call try and break once I get to my best lineup. um, So I'll probably look at 30 or 40, different lineups before, you know, in working my way to my main single build. And then Sunday morning, what I tend to do if I, if I am locked in is I'll try and what I call break it. In other words, I'll keep mixing other lineups around the core that I have to see if I'm missing an even better combination that I like. Um, So, yes, I think that's super valuable. Yeah, and and but you know, Jam, it's it's two different ways of accomplishing the same task. And you know, for you, your process worked for you because the way your brain worked, making the full lineups, seeing the full lineups, worked great for you. For me, sitting there on DraftKings and trying to see if I can adjust it and come up with a combination I like better. That was that worked for me, and this is something you and I always talk about. We don't want people to be us. We want people to find what works best for them, correct? Absolutely. Everybody's brain is going to work a little bit differently. And I think that what we'll find is that the general ideas we're talking about apply to everybody, but the specifics of how to get there for your own style of play and it's not about trying to force it. It comes naturally. But the even that idea of what you call trying to break that roster, and I used to always talk about challenging that roster, my whole process was basically trying to break the roster, right? Because I would start out with the slate and try to get that. Maybe by my seventh or eighth roster, I would end up on a few of the plays that were going to ultimately end up in my final build. But throughout the week, it's just constantly challenging. And then as as I would get to Friday or Saturday – I'm probably down to like the six or seven players I'm definitely using. And I've challenged those plays from all the different angles. And then, you know, at the end of the week, as you would put it, trying to break that roster on those last couple spots and saying, okay, where can I find an even better combo here? Is there anything I'm overlooking here? And just that process of making like narrowing down the slate for yourself, making it tighter and tighter has so much value in it. What, what are the key factors that changed in daily fantasy that led you, you know, there's two angles here. There's the external and then there's the internal, 
But let's start with the external. What, if any, external, just the, the nature of the way the game has changed overall caused you to change your process? Well, we used to be able to win a tournament, a, a single entry tournament with 180 points. And that's not going to happen anymore. And so uh, there was externally that element of saying, okay, I need to adjust my sight levels. So if I used to be looking at one of the, one of the edges that I had was I was playing against all these people who were not only playing max lineups in other tournaments and then throwing one lineup into the one K buy-in, but they were also, most of them were grinding MLB throughout September and then grinding NBA by mid October. And they just didn't have nearly as much attention on that one lineup as I had. And it, it made it decently easy for me to say, you know, it was, it was, I was very disappointed back then if I had a weekend where I didn't cash in that one K buy-in tournament and I would be kind of reassessing, like, what did I miss that I didn't cash? And that's how consistent it was for me. And it wasn't 100%, but 60% of weeks I could cash in that tournament and was regularly placing teams in the top 5%. And so as that started to change, and, and I wasn't changing my style of play, so I was still targeting those same things, still targeting um, – you know, these scores that I'd been targeting that had been successful and still hitting those scores, but I was kind of dropping in the standings. So that was one of the moves uh, as far as, and that goes less toward adjusting to start building more rosters and more toward adjusting my style of play, but it, it all fits in together because you start realizing, okay, a little, the field has started to, change, to, to adjust, the field has gotten sharper, and so now I need to adjust above the field and find the angles that get me a higher score than everybody else is targeting. And so that, that moves over to. Well, let, me, let me, let me, maybe, ask, let me just interject one thing there. And one of the key things that has changed from when I first met you to now is in general, the key information that can help you win is a lot more accessible to everyone than it was back then. Back then, you had a bunch of guys who had their own models, and the guys who had their models had big advantages. You had a big advantage because of your research. Uh, now, with you giving your research out, um, you know, Evan doing his article, and all the, you know, almost every, if you're not playing, you know, if you don't get projections somewhere, I don't think you're doing it right. Uh, there's just a lot more information out there um, at, to, to the point where just finding the best plays of the week might not get you where you need to go because a much larger part of the field is going to get there too. Yeah. I mean, the, in 2015, most, I'd say 99% of 95% of DFS analysts couldn't have told you whether a cornerback played in the slot or on the perimeter or whether a cornerback shadowed or not. And even at this point, they can't tell you what a defense's scheme is or what an offense is trying to do or how an offensive and defensive line match up. And so there's still uh, a lot of, a lot of edge left, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fundamentally less sharp back then. I will push back obviously against you on the, 
the thought of projections because I don't use them and Cubs fan doesn't use them. And I think that there are people whose minds uh, can process all of this perfectly fine without needing projections. But that, if you do, if fair. you do, I, I, if you I, I, do I, lean on projections, uh, I, I want to throw this in. One one thing that people might not have noticed is that we now have a, a download button on the GPP ceiling tool. And so you can actually download it and use the 50th percentile projection just as a projections system. That's a new feature that we have on the site this year. Yeah. And, and we, and we had it last year too. It just, it wasn't, it just wasn't downloadable, but, but that wasn't what I meant by projections is, you know, anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I, I want to focus because I agree with you and I, I, uh, I take it back. Um, so, but then this whole concept kind of came your way of what you're doing now, which is, in you know, it's basically your same process, but it's I would call it it's matured. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely, hundred percent. And it's even if I were doing just single entry now, and I'll throw this in here. One of the reasons why I don't do single entry now is you need more time in my opinion to do single entry and it it sounds funny to hear that because obviously this is my full-time job but my full-time job is the research and the production of that and that that isn't the same as dfs play as as you know and as we talk about there is a creative process to roster construction you know go read anything that sonic writes or hilo writes to see how they're diving into putting together their their rosters, right? There's a creative process here. And that's the part that I have less time for now. But even if I were still doing single entry, I would be adjusting to focus more on game environments than I did in the past. And that's kind of that, that maturation. And then that second level that I was alluding to earlier is that the score you needed to win is higher now because more people understand how to build around a game. And so what happens is if that game misses, you don't actually have quite as much floor. You're not necessarily going to cash 60% of the time unless you're high-low, but you're, you're able to say, okay, maybe I only cash 40% of the time as a single entry player, but my ceiling is still high enough now to take down tournaments. And so I had gotten to a point where, I had to adjust and realize, okay, I'm, I'm cashing less often because the field has gotten sharper, but I'm also finishing in that top three to 5% less often because I'm, I'm scoring 180 points and other people are scoring 195, 200, 210. And so you start recognizing how to target those higher scores. You have to give up a little bit of floor to do it, but you're still looking for that floor ceiling combo as a whole and then maximizing your upside by trying to capture some of these, these spots where you can really get a bunch of upside at once. As I talked about, you know, needing fewer things to go right. And uh, when that one thing hits, you're getting three or four spots on your roster. Correct. Yep. <clears throat> the other thing you mentioned on the pod this week, and, that, and this is what got me to want to delve into this a little more is you talked about how you leverage your lineups. Um, explain to people who might not have listened to that um, what you mean by leveraging your lineups. I want to make sure that I'm giving myself some outs. As people have gotten better at building around games, one of the edges they've left to us is that they this, – this week's such a perfect – 
example, everything seems so straightforward. And you know who's going to win tournaments is the people who are treating this as a not straightforward week. People who are looking for ways to just build differently and, and target different things. And so I've been trying to mess around with that this afternoon and I'll be diving in deep tonight in my builds. I'll leave an update on the player grid. I'm sure around four or five in the morning on the West coast with kind of updated thoughts on where I'm at on everything. But I've been forcing myself this evening to build some Clyde Edwards Hilaire lineups or to build some Tyreek Hill lineups or Travis Kelsey lineups. I've been forcing myself to build some James Conner lineups. Not that I'll necessarily use them in anything but the Millie maker, but to essentially say, what are some other ways that this slate can be built that people just aren't going to be thinking of? Because when you get such heavy ownership on a handful of spots, that just there's so many players who can do well. And, you know, if Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 7,400 were going to be 10% owned, then that's the spot where you say, well, because of the matchup and the game environment, there's just better plays. But if he's going to be 1% or 2% owned or 3% or 4% or 5% owned, the one out of every 20 times in any matchup, a running back in this Chiefs offense is going to post a 30-point game. You could put them up against any defense in the NFL, and once out of every 20 times, you're going to get a 30-point game out of a Chiefs running back just because of the nature of this offense. And um, So that's one one angle is like, how do I embrace And, and Tyreek Hill a little... twice a year is going to score 40 points. Yeah, and, 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 and we don't necessarily going to be – his talent's so unique. You don't know what that, you can't use our normal metrics to pick a Tyreek Hill 40 point week. Precisely. And everyone's going to get, there's going to be some week where he's 30% owned because it's the perfect spot. And that means his chances of hitting that big game are higher, but his chances haven't disappeared this week. And so uh, just trying to force myself to look at things from those angles. And again, not that they'll necessarily end up on my wildcat builds or wherever I end up with my focus this week, but just to say, how do I start seeing things a little differently? And that, that piggybacks off of this, that even if I'm, even if I'm not focusing on those spots on my 14 core builds or 19 core builds or wherever I end up this week, I'm still wanting to keep that same type of thinking and say, okay, what do we, what does everybody think that they know for certain? And they don't actually necessarily know it for certain. And so, um, you know, people talk about, well, Austin Eckler's workload has through the air has dried up probably, but not to the extent where we don't have as high of a percentage of certainty on that as ownership will indicate. And so taking that type of thinking and saying, okay, so, if I'm betting heavily on these pieces, if I'm betting heavily on, let's say, were the Cowboys passing attack, or a better example is last week where I had Devontae Adams on over 50% of my rosters, I wanted to also say, okay, if Devontae Adams fails, what does that mean? Maybe I need some Aaron Jones mixed in here, and let me get a couple Aaron Jones-Devontae Adams combos, and let me get a few Aaron Jones solo rosters to essentially say – I think this is what's going to happen, but if things break differently, what else could end up, what would benefit as a result? And so let me get a little bit of that so that if my, if my 50% of Devontae Adams rosters crash and burn, I'm still getting some help from these uh, Aaron Jones rosters. In, 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 other, I, words, in I, other words, if I may, 
the most likely scenario is that you like Green Bay that week, and the most likely scenario is that it's going to be Devontae Adams. But if Devontae Adams doesn't hit, there's going to be two reasons why. One is that the Packers just have a bad game. It happens sometimes. But often it'll be because uh, Aaron Jones, who has a fabulous ceiling, got three touchdowns that game, right? And Devontae Adams might have caught, caught, you know, 10 passes for 89 yards, uh, you know, or, or seven passes for 89 yards and no touchdowns. And it was, you know, a pretty good football day for him but not a good GPP day for him, but it was for Aaron Jones. And that's what I wanted to get across to people is, and and something I need to get across to myself is if this fails, what, you know, and start thinking, what is the second most likely scenario here? And I think that what's really hard for people there, what's really hard for people there is they feel like they're then killing these Aaron Jones Roster. So I really like Devontae Adams this week. I've got him on over 50% of my rosters. So why would I, why would I want Aaron Jones? I don't think Aaron Jones is going to hit. And so now I feel like these, you know, this 20% of rosters that have Aaron Jones in my, the way it feels is like, okay, well now these are throwaway rosters. But the truth is if Devontae Adams, you're trying to win a tournament. If Devontae Adams hits, which he did last week for 43 points or whatever, if Devontae Adams, hits at that level your rosters without him aren't going to be winning a tournament anyway because you're you're rostering saying i think he has a tournament winning ceiling and so this is the guy that i'm taking and so already these other this other half of your rosters are probably not winning a tournament and we're not just trying to cash we're trying to win a tournament and so you know, that what's difficult in that shift in thinking is you start feeling like, well, I'm now giving up these other rosters. But the truth is those rosters are given up already by the fact that you have Devontae, you're betting heavily on Devontae Adams. And if he hits, you're not winning with these other rosters. It's now these 10 rosters that have your shot at first place. But on the flip side of that, if it misses, you've now automatically boosted some of these other rosters by giving yourself that out. And so now these are the rosters that have the clearer shot at first place. And, um, you know, so there's a number of things that go into that, you know, psychologically, you still have to really focus on those Aaron Jones rosters in this example and say, okay, how do I win the tournament with this Aaron Jones roster? But, um, but yeah, like, I think that that's the shift in thinking that's difficult to make is you feel like you're now throwing away these other rosters, but the truth is you're actually maximizing these other rosters by thinking of things that way. Yeah. And what you don't want to do is try and, you know, in the old days, one of the things you always talked about was how people were more shotgun instead of rifle, right? And that theory still works. Don't try and overthink too many different situations on a week, but take two or three high leverage spots and do it. So when you look at my lineup this week, my main build, right now it's got Kyler at quarterback. Uh, at one point, I was going to go with Drake as one of my running backs, but he's not in the main right now. I, and then I, I wanted to have, I agree with you, that you really need to have pieces of this Atlanta-Dallas game. So I've got Zeke, I've got Ridley, and I've got Gallup in it. Um, I've got T.Y. Hilton, who leverages Jonathan Taylor, but 
you know, it, that's that, you know, he also is in a great spot, uh, narrow distribution. And I've got Ronald Jones in the lineup because I think the ownership right now on Tampa is on the passing game. And I've got other lineups that I'm doing that, but I've got three or four leverage points in this one lineup. But at the same time, I'm not trying to get every situation uh, correct. It's just the way the lineup worked out. There's If there's two or three games that you really believe in, you know, come up with alternate scenarios for those games, but don't try and figure out, you know, four, uh, on a 13-game slate, six or seven games and try and leverage them. Yeah, and there's going to be – yeah, there's going to be a lot of players who you like because you like the individual – player and maybe it's even a lower scoring environment but just they get they're going to get a lot of work or they're in a good individual spot or whatever the case might be uh this when you're this whole thing about leveraging it's like typically it's going to be a narrower distribution of touches to where you can say i know that these four players are going to combine for 65 points 75 points on DraftKings. i think that this one player 25 to 30 of those. But if I'm wrong on that, there's, I'm still expecting this group of four players to score, you know, 70, 75 points, whatever it is. And so if this guy that I think is going to get 25 instead gets 12, that leaves a lot of extra points for these other guys. And if you can look at that scenario and say like, like let's say that the Cowboys this week, they're probably putting up uh, 75 to 80 points before uh, Dak's score is brought into play. So let's throw out five or 10 of those points for random things that could happen. And let's say that we have 70 points for CD lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and Zeke. Well, what if Zeke only gets 15 points? All of a sudden you now have 55 points left for these three wide receivers. And then what if one of these wide receivers only gets 10 points? Now you have 45 points left for these other two wide receivers And so it's thinking of things through that lens of, okay, here's an offense I like in a game environment I like. I think this offense is putting up points. And I want to look at the ways that these points could be distributed differently if things don't go the way that I expect. And so a team that's, you know, involving everybody on their roster, that might not be the spot where you're going to be able to, to play this angle. But if a team is using, four guys, five guys, and you can start saying, okay, what if these two guys fail? How many points does that leave for these other guys? Then you get to start kind of playing around with these different angles of how to put yourself in position to benefit from this game environment, even without the individual player that you thought was going off, going off. Yep. One of the fun things that you do, JM, is um, I, I like how you come up with your own Vegas lines after doing your research before you even look at Vegas lines. Um, what is one game this week? Uh, we know you're real high on uh, Dallas and um, Atlanta, but could you give us one game that you think the Vegas line is too high on and one game that the Vegas line is too low on that might be a little bit more under the radar? That is an awesome question. I'm not certain I have an answer, and I say that because in these weeks, 
Tuesday and Wednesday feel like a month ago. And so um, oh, okay. I don't necessarily <laughs> remember exactly what I was seeing in those, in those spots, but yeah, it's, uh, we tend to, I think you can tend to obviously get a sense of it in the NFL edge. But one of the things I like to look for is uh, I mentioned this somewhere this week, maybe on the chat pod, but these lines where it just can't really push higher than it because people aren't used to seeing that. And so this week, that. now that we're starting to get some, some Cowboys issues uh, with the offensive line, like I, I don't think that it's like 65% chance anymore that it goes up over 54, but in, in fact, we've already seen the line start to trickle down a little bit. It was 53 and a half last time I looked, but the people aren't used to seeing a line of 55, 56, 57. And so once these games start getting up into that 53, 54 range, they just want 50% of the money on either side. And even sharks, you know, who are betting big money, they have a hard time going over that line. And so there are games on the extremes that I like to look for that, Hey, this game, if we played it out a hundred times, 60% of the time, only 32 points are going to be scored or 60% of the time, 60 plus points are going to be scored. Uh, Lex in his uh, matchups research for this Cowboys Falcons game laid out the past, the past uh, matchups between Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy. And it was 55 to 60 plus points all four times. I think it was, and you know, you start thinking about, how frequently this game environment would actually go over this number of 53 and a half. It's over 50% of the time, because if these two teams fail to hit 53 and a half, they're still going to hit 45 or 47. Um, and there's going to be some play. I think about that Thursday night game, the over under was 44 and a half. That game went way over. Right. But the score was at 44 until the Bengals were down near the goal line and Burrow was trying to get that, that touchdown to keep the game going. If the Bengals don't score there, the Browns get the ball back, kill off clock, and this game finishes at the under. But it went, you know, 15 points over, 14 points over, whatever it went. So it looks like this high-scoring game, and there are situations like that where, you know, maybe it doesn't go over, but it's going to be in position to go over. And so a game like this Cowboys-Falcons game, if it doesn't go over, you know, 90% of the time, it's still going to be in position to go over at the end. And that those are the games that you really want to look for, for where things are just really wrong. And those tend to be spots on the extremes, the really high end or the really low end. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and uh, I had a couple games this week that it was, that the total looked at least two or three points off to me, but I don't remember those uh, off the top of my head, but in general, that's what I would look for is those extremes. Gotcha. All right, uh, we'll finish up with a, a bonus round. And uh, w w how many lineups will JM have of the chalk? So I'll throw out um, some of the chalk names. And obviously, you haven't made all your lineups. But just where your head's at now, how many? Let's say you're going to do 19 lineups, okay? How many Jonathan Taylor lineups would you expect to have? Zero. How many Devon... Okay. Wow. Uh, <laughs> did something happen? <laughs> All right. I got to do a follow-up question or I'm not doing my job uh, because you uh, earlier in the week, I would have expected the answer to be more like three or four. Uh, what changed to, to, to get it to go from a few to none? You might be surprised on some of these. So let's hit, let's hit the, um, the numbers and then let's circle back. Okay. Good, the end. good. I think there might be All a couple right. that you're surprised on. All right, Devontae Adams. 
Zero. Uh, Ezekiel. Wait, let me guess. Uh, out of 19, I'm going to say you're going to be on 13 to 15. Ooh, wow. I, I was going to say six or seven just because I like the passing attack more and the price tag is so wrong on the receivers and, and so right on Zeke. But um, I wouldn't mind having 13 to 15. But I, I would guess like six to seven out of, out of 19. Interesting. Derek Henry. One to two. Deontay Johnson. I don't think I'll have any Deontay, but I would be very fine with Deontay. Uh, Corey Davis. Um, I think I'll probably not have Corey Davis. Uh, All right. Now we're going to get into some ownership. C.D. Lamb. Uh, Seven, eight, nine out of 19. Maybe Julio. more, maybe 10, 11. Julio. Uh, Julio, five to six to seven. You'll notice that as we get into these higher price ranges, there's, there's lower ownership because more things have to go right for these guys Correct. to hit at those price tags. Uh, but yeah, uh, five, six of Julio. Uh, Amari. Um, same range as, as C.D. Lamb. Um, I was hoping he would be a little bit lower owned because of the whole – what was it an ankle thing throughout the week? But um, it doesn't seem like anyone's concerned. So, um, yeah, I think he'll be he'll be pretty chalky. But I'll I'll get in there regardless. Uh, all right, um, I got I got two more quest uh, two more on this, and then I got a question that I have to follow up on. Uh, Amari and Mike Evans. I I know you're pretty high on Mike Evans. Yeah, I think you. Uh, so Gallup, because we've hit C.D. Lamb and Amari, and then I think Gallup is same in that same range of the Cowboys. Mike Evans, so he was looking, people were kind of not on him yet. There hasn't been, weirdly, I guess because Godwin got the concussion announced late in the week, there wasn't a lot of, like, people really paying attention to that. And so Evans kind of looked under the radar, and now it's seeming like his ownership's creeping up. Um, But I think I'll still be overweight. I'll probably have him on um, 7 out of 19. All right. So – the 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 the, good, the follow-up question I have to ask is if you have almost no Taylor Zeke or Derrick Henry, uh, what running backs are are you going to have? So I'm not uh, totally sure on that yet, but I I'll have a little bit of Eckler. I'll have actually. So the bigger answer here is on a week like this where everyone feels so certain on on a handful of spots. And there are a lot of other good spots. So like Corey Davis, well, there's Quintez Cephas and there's Brashad Perriman and there's Paris Campbell and there's um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and there's even Mike Williams and there's just it's so many guys. It's going to be really so hard many... for these low-end guys to have a lot of ownership. There's just so many of them. Yeah, and there's so many who are mispriced. And so I'm kind of looking for – one of the things I'm looking for, as I mentioned this in Discord uh, – I think I mentioned this in Discord – that Paris Campbell is probably going to be 6K within, you know, a month or so. So uh, looking for these guys who are just going to be higher priced, you're like Galladay's not going to be out for two months, but if Galladay were out for two months, Quintez Cephas would be 5,600, 5,800, you know, within a few weeks. Mike Evans is probably going to be 7,500 within a few weeks. And so looking for these spots where guys are 
mispriced. All three of the Cowboys receivers are, are underpriced. Um, so I want to focus, you know, on those. And then outside of that, I want to focus on the guys who I don't think people will be on. So with the running backs, I like Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is going to be priced at, uh, I think he was 6,500 just last he, week, wasn't six, he? I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be, close, this he's week, be yeah. 7,500. Yeah, he's, he's going to be in the seven K range. I've got thirty. Kenyon Drake is going to be. Yeah, Kenyon Drake's going to be sixty-seven hundred or above. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is taking over the Marlon Mack role now. Maybe Philip Rivers is throwing a lot more often to, to Jonathan Taylor than we were seeing in this offense before, and Jonathan Taylor is a seven K back. But there's also a chance that Jonathan Taylor in a month is still in this price range that Marlon Mack has been in, which would be like 58 to 6,200. And, and then him having super high ownership. So I, that kind of answers the question there too. It's like, I like Jonathan Taylor as a play, but, and if, and if ownership were level across the board, I would have three or four Jonathan Taylor lineups. I'd have five or six Miles Sanders lineups. Uh, I'd have four or five Kenyon Drake lineups. But if ownership's going to be so far swung toward Jonathan Taylor, well, then for a tournament approach, it just makes sense to me to say, okay, so I'll, I'll take zero Jonathan Taylor and then take 10 or 11 Miles Sanders and eight or nine Kenyon Drake. So that's where a lot of my running back ownership You, you just helped me break my lineup. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and okay. hopefully we did that for everybody a little bit. Let me just run this by you real quick. We'll finish your thought. And then I'll, I'll, I'll throw it at you. Uh, Derek Henry is kind of in that same boat of if all things were equal, you know, you gotta remember I'm writing and I I don't say this to you, but I say this to everybody. uh, I'm writing the NFL edge on researching it on Monday, writing it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so there's not a clear sense, especially for someone like me who doesn't look at what the, the industry chatter is. There's not a clear sense on who will be highly owned. Derrick Henry is a really strong play. Jonathan Taylor is a really strong play, but not to the extent that ownership will swing toward them. And so I want to look for those spots in tournaments. Derrick Henry is a guy who, you know, he, w- there's no question about his pass game role. That, not like Jonathan Taylor, right? So you're at 7,900. You're betting on two touchdowns from Derrick Henry. Can he get there? Absolutely. But can he miss easily? He can have a 16, 17 point game. And so if he's going to be, if these guys are going to be highly owned, I want to look for that uh, leverage off of them by the plays on the plays that I already like a little bit more than those guys anyway. Um, the, the, let's hear uh, about your lineup. I want to hear that. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that um, when you were talking and now I might, I might've lost it, but the other key, now I got it back. The key thing on Derrick Henry is, at that ownership, how many points does he have to put up to kill you? Right? I mean, he, he literally has to get, you know, almost 40 points to kill you, you know, to make your debt, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, to, so what, what I just did, all I, I just, Zeke was in my lineup and, and maybe, and I know it was a little biased from one or two times last year where I went heavy Zeke and it just bit me in the butt. Um, including one time when my spidey senses were tingling, but all week my spidey senses were tingling on both Henry and Zeke. And so what I just did is I dropped from Zeke to Drake. I dropped from Hilton to Campbell, which is, you know, you pick up a lot of salary, but you're not losing much in the way of 
target. Not losing anything, upside, yeah. And I just went from Jordan Reed to Mark Andrews. So, Oof. And no one's going to be on Mark Andrews because everyone's talking about paying down. At, no, I shouldn't say no one, but lower than normal because everyone's going to be paying down at, at tight end this week because of all the chatter about the value there. And I still have Gallup and Ridley, my favorite two pieces of that game. Um, and and that happened, in, 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 you know, literally while you were talking, I said, because I've tried about 60 combinations to get to Mark Andrews. But you freed me to say, you know what? If JM's only on Zeke for six or seven lineups, I'll still have let, what's my Zeke at now? My Elliot's still at thirty six percent, which means I'm gonna be even weight on the guy. Um he's got he's another one who's gonna have to put up thirty five, forty points to kill me. It's unlikely that that game you know, Atlanta's a pass funnel team. Um, and it just, you know, and it just finally worked that I finally got up to Mark Andrews, which is what I'd been trying to do most of the day. How funny is that? Yeah. And, and one, one final thought here too, is that this ties into the pricing psychology thing we talked about in the angles pod. You and I just went through all these players, Paris Campbell and, uh, these, these Miles Sanders and Kenyon Drake. And we're like, okay, this guy would, is probably going to be priced here in about a month. This guy's probably going to be priced about here in, in about a month. But everybody looks at them through the lens of where they're priced now. So then it's like, well, do I want, you know, Paris Campbell or do I want this guy? Or, do, you know, do I want Paris Campbell or Corey Davis? I mean, you know, like Corey Davis can outscore Paris Campbell. That, that can happen this week. But if we play this slate out 100 times, that's not happening more often than not in – that offense with, with his game compared to the Colts offense with Paris Campbell's game. And so looking for those situations where it's like, okay, everyone's evaluating these players based on the price range that they're in, but how do I evaluate them based on what their price should be? Uh, and I think that that's, that's you know, a, a key thing um, in anything, in investing in uh, DFS. But, you know, if you can shift that thinking to look at the, the price tags on these guys as look for the places where the price tags are wrong, then you start getting a different sense of it's like if Kenyon Drake were 7,700 this week, people would be trying to think like, okay, do I want Zeke or do I want Kenyon Drake? And Zeke would be the stronger play in that price range. But those would be the types of questions people would be asking since Kenyon Drake is so much lower priced. And I guess Miles Sanders is a better example, but um, then it kind of, you know, people are comparing them against the wrong players. And so they're making the wrong decisions for what would be plus EV over time. Yeah. And, and I've got 29% Miles Sanders. He doesn't need to be in my main lineup. Um, you, you, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, an, you know, I, we, you and I have talked about how I look at ownership a little differently. I'm trying to get to two X, three X, but I also want my I want my lineups just like you do to tell a story, right? And I want leverage at different points because truthfully, all it takes is one of these lineups. You know, it's kind of like getting someone pregnant, right? You just need that one sperm <laughs> to swim all the way to a million dollars, right? It's um, true, yeah. You don't need all of your rosters at the top. You need to maximize your chances of getting one roster to the top. Correct. 
Well, you promised me a half hour. I, I cheated a little. I kept you a little long, but I really wanted to get to some of that. I, I feel like we told a good story tonight. And um, everyone, uh, JM has, uh, you really got to listen to the beginning of the Angles pod this week. JM talks about everything that's been going on at one week season, all the value that's there. Um, tell a friend, tell two friends, get marketplace courses, support the site. Um, because JM, you know, we really, not we, I, I'm not involved in that end of it, but as a site, OWS is the best value on the market. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, don't let bias get you and, and think that we're not giving you what other places are. Um, the, the site has grown. It's going to continue to grow. I thank you so much. And, um, you know, uh, for all the listeners, I'm sorry I didn't get the questions this week. I will next week, I promise. And uh, that's going to do it for the Run to Daylight podcast for week two. Uh, Jam, are you still there? I am, yeah. Uh, say goodbye. Say goodbye to your people. Yeah, thanks for hanging out, guys. Thanks, Todd, for having me on. And uh, hop in on the Discord channel tonight because uh, everybody's on there talking about the slate. And um, I'll be up all night. I'm sure I'll pop in a couple times when I sort of rise up from – uh, roster construction and, and, you know, throw some ideas around. So um, hop on there tonight and keep getting ready for this slate. And we'll see you at the top of the leaderboards tomorrow. Yep. And if you're a free person who hasn't signed up for OWS yet, you can lock in your price for life and it's only going to keep getting better. Support us. We will appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter at Todd from PA. If you follow me, I'll follow you back. And that's going to do it, folks. We'll see you next week, and hopefully we all end up at the top of the leaderboard. Good night, folks.